Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Social media is the number one topic that public sector pros want to discuss with me, from how to develop a strategy to how to manage a crisis online and everything in between. So it got me thinking about how and why public sector agencies with robust plans and skilled teams are excelling in their communications and others aren't. In the show, I'm making a case for social media as a superpower to drive public awareness, engage niche audiences, and empowering citizens to take a course of action based on trusted information. Coming up in episode 65, why some public sector agencies have social media superpowers and others don't, how to get your social media charging on all cylinders, and I speak to Christine Townsend, president of PIO Toolkit, she recognized the struggles of public information officers in the United States in dealing with social media communications and developed a suite of resources to help them. So why is it that some public sector agencies have social media superpowers and others don't? I've been conducting the state of social media in the public sector report for four years now. And it's very evident to me that there are clear winners and clear not so good at social media performing agencies. And through my work with government and public sector pros, I get a real insight into what is holding organizations back and why others are excelling and leading from the front. And indeed, I would say, putting it up to the private sector. One of the major reasons is mindset and that mindset coming from senior leadership. So if you have a senior leadership that is adept at social media or who is a a real awareness of the power of it, then they will seek that social media superpower to emanate from their communications team. Also, there may be a culture within the organization of saying nothing and being a bit more absent from online channels in order not to draw attention from the public. Whereas in my view, you are there to serve the public and your communications needs to be in the public interest and it needs to be served to the public where they are and how they want to access it. Of course, there are very many other challenges in between and it's not that simplistic. But given the evidence that I have of high-performing government agencies on social, there definitely are models and frameworks that you can follow if you want to elevate your social media performance and ultimately win public trust and demonstrate transparency. You need to have a team that's fully resourced and that have specialist skills in-house. Outsourcing social media for campaigns or for major projects or strategy is a great idea, but the day-to-day operations and running off your social media really should be kept and managed by an in-house team. Another challenge is the speed of information dissemination. Social media is a now platform. People expect to find out information through their smartphone at the touch of a button in a very responsive manner. But if you're in an organization that 
holds information tight and doesn't release it to the social media team, this is going to create a backlog of queries and then it's going to lead to poor responsiveness and inability to keep up with public demand, not managing public expectation and then maybe ultimately decisions being taken that guess what, social media as a fundamental form of communications is not going to happen within our organization. The solution to that, my friends, is scaling social media skills and digital communications within the organization and really making departments and subject matter experts and project teams responsible for the communication of their work in the public. And it should be built into their working week. Another thing that I would say is identify best practice in your sector and model on other successful organizations, whether it's health, whether it's politics, whether it's public policy, whether it's higher education or local government, have a look to see what other similar agencies are doing. And it's not that difficult because all of their information is public. So the first thing that I would do when working with uh, government agencies is a comparative analysis, finding out who is the best in their sector, deep diving into their content, their format of content, their responsiveness, uh, the level of output, uh, and the level of creativity that they are distributing on an ongoing basis. And this gives me a really clear picture of their strategy. And then you can, you can help uh, said organization that you're working with help develop their own social media framework. Finally, uh, the last bit of advice in this uh, column is to be brave. Be brave in stepping out on social. Fear is a major barrier. And you know what I always say, with fear becomes uh, paralysis. It turns into paralysis and then you are inactive and you do nothing. And that in itself leaves a poor taste in the citizen's mind uh, for your organization. So allow social media to be your superpower. It can do the work. It can get you mass reach, great engagement, and then meaningful conversions. But you have to have the willingness to engage with it. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. So what have I told you in six months, you could transform your social media and increase engagement and reach by up to 20% across the board. Would you believe me? Well, I've done it with clients and when they're willing to commit and willing to engage and have an open mind for social media transformation, they get the results. Only in the past fortnight, I was running an analysis for a client and we had taken over managing their social media on a daily basis. And the results were dramatic, even in four weeks, increases of reach of accounts on Instagram by over 200%, also engagement rates exceeding industry benchmarks and experimenting with new content formats. And so you know, I know what works on the social networks. You just have to lean into those trends and to get creative with your content. So everybody is looking for the secret sauce and the silver bullet of social media success. And they want one answer. Now, I don't have one answer for you today in this show, but I've got four. And for me, these are the four C's that will help you take your social media to the next level. 
The first one is consistency. Now, this is old news, right? Consistency is king. Content is queen. If you show up consistently, you're going to get the results. Also considering the level of output. So if you're posting three times a week, if you increase that to once per day, then your numbers are going to go up. Of course, the content is key. And when it comes to content, there are two elements that you need to consider. Number one is the relevance of the content. If you want citizens to engage, then the content must speak to them. It must resonate with them emotionally, practically, intellectually, they must feel that it was written for them. So you're reframing your content as in, we want to say that too. Let's empower citizens with information that will help them make informed decisions. Creativity within your content is so important. And right now, content format is being disrupted right across all of the social networks. TikTok is continuing to boom. Instagram has evolved into like a, a sister channel of TikTok. Reels on Instagram are now visible on Facebook. YouTube is getting into shorts and Twitter is leaning into social audio. So what we knew as content format 12 months ago has been completely transformed. So you really need to change how you are creating and publishing content. Conversation is my next C. And what I mean by conversation is do not speak in academic, corporate, or public policy language. That's not going to uh, enlist the engagement or the interest of the public. You want to have a very conversational, yes, a professional tone, but something that is relatable is meaningful and you're speaking with purpose as if you were speaking to me one-on-one -on -one in person. So really work on your conversational tone. And that includes having a conversation when the public speak to you. Remember, conversation is a two-way thing. It's not about posting and going or broadcasting messaging. And then finally, number four, collaboration. In the public sector, you have a myriad of stakeholders and agencies who espouse the same principles or are running campaigns on similar topics. Get together and collaborate. Use the power and the leverage of coming together as groupings and even collaborating with influencers and individuals who have a high following. So there you go. The four C's of social media success. Number one, consistency. Number two, creativity and content format. Number three, conversation. And number four, collaboration. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to our brand new knowledge product, and it's called Social Media Done For You. Think of it as like social media in a box. All the tools, strategies, and policies that you would need to implement great social media within your government or public sector agency. We've just released it on our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com, and you have lifetime access. And this includes any updates that I make to the resources. So what can you expect? 
Well, you have a template social media strategy. You have a range of social media policies. You have a 365-day inspiration calendar for social media. You also have checklists when it comes to hashtags, social and live video, auditing of your social platforms. And you also have template graphic designs that we have created in Canva and all of these come with tutorial videos. So if you want our social media done for you product, go ahead, check it out on our website. And really the price is amazing. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In this interview, I'm delighted to be joined by Christine Townsend, who joined me from Texas in the United States, a native of the UK. Christine has a really interesting career in communications, from working in the media to working in the police forces, and now having developed her own public information officer's digital communications toolkit. In this conversation, we go across a number of issues from TikTok to crisis management to scaling digital communications within public sector, and ultimately to how we can support public information officers. And also, we talk about Kylie Minogue. Christine, what a delight to have you on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I've been very excited about this. So listen, we've connected on LinkedIn. We then realized that we've got lots of shared, what I call nerdy interests, but they're very important interests. So tell my viewers and listeners a little bit about your background because it's quite diverse, but at the same time, everything just comes together. Yes, gosh, where to begin? Nerdy is absolutely right. Um, started out when I was very young, just wanting to be a journalist and Kate Aidy was my hero and all I wanted to, to do was be her. And uh, so I, I started off very young, uh, bothering my local newspaper uh, turning up in school holidays and they finally gave me some work as a court reporter um, and this is way before social so I'd go to the court um, write down all the comings and goings in Gravesend uh, which made mainly shop, shop liftings um, and then they promoted me <laughs> to go and see the desk sergeant at the local Nick um, every every morning and I'd go and sit and talk to the sergeant and I was something about all the all the comings and goings of of life overnight that really fascinated me and i remember as many writers i'm sure do uh, the very first time i saw my name in print and it was uh, page seven inch something about a stolen car and i was thrilled and that was it i was done for and so i just kept going back and then somehow i managed to wangle my way into uh, news international which at the time was pre uh, scandals, uh, the big scandals around phone hacking. And I uh, started off uh, in the sun and uh, I had the great, and I still consider it to be a great privilege, whatever you think of tabloid um, papers, to observe them writing and capturing public imagination. Um, and just sort of really was captivated by the how clever tabloid journalists are. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to write with so much alliteration and witticisms and learned a lot there and kind of dotted about in the national newspapers. 
and then sort of jumping forward a little bit um my family who are or were police officers were involved in the British response to 9-11 and uh, it put me in a real conflict around being a journalist and uh, it was quite clear to me that policing and public service was more important than journalism in, in that that style of journalism as much as I love writing I couldn't do all the stuff that went with it and that just really was like this horrible cognitive dissonance of values and whatnot which is so I took a break from it and did a lot of um sort of lifestyle writing I mean I managed to interview a lot of pop stars and do all the fluffy stuff and had a great time but still had this niggling sort of wanting to do more with my writing and uh my mum said to me if you want to know what to do or what not to do you should join the police it will sort you out so I ended up doing a brief stint as a 999 call operator, which gave me just the most wonderful material in a Victoria Wood-esque kind of a way. I had to, you have to make, not make light of it, but sort of get through the shifts of all that trauma, really, and just see the funny side in humanity. But I was like, there's still more to tell. There are so many stories to tell in policing. And as it happened, I saw a job come up at, as a website editor for a police, police force. And this was before police forces had websites. There was a time. <laughs> there was a time. I remember the first day we actually got email in our police force, believe it or not. And I'm not that old. Um, and so I ended up uh, starting off writing in this, setting up the police website for Sussex Police in Brighton. I was, where I was working out of Lewis. And then from then, I, I kind of got back that journalistic need to tell stories vibe and we made a real point of making content rather than just putting information on the website. And then uh, I became more averse with crisis comms, media handling, really loved that. Um, loved an emergency, like a lot of people in that area, they kind of get a bit addicted to it, I think, and uh, found I was actually all right at it. And then I went to City London Police, where I uh, eventually became head of media and worked on some interesting jobs there but throughout my time what was really nice is that I got to go and support other police forces in setting up social media accounts like I set up the uh, Help Met Police set up their Twitter account for the helicopter which was amazing um, and then just going to like Greater Manchester Police or West Yorkshire Police and all during this time of digital uh, I suppose change in the in the police um, started working on a social media dashboard for um, public sector. I just got really fascinated by how the police engage with the public and the media, and it just completely tipped it completely. We'd never, we couldn't understand it, but we tried to do the best we could with it. And so, with my sort of friends in Surrey Police, we would set up training around social media use. We ended up rolling out training to the, all of the country, really, in the digital policing um, narrative, I suppose. Um, and then it kind of went from there. I just got involved more and more in helping law enforcement uh, with their social media training. Um, and now I'm in the States, sort of cutting out a big chunk here, but <laughs> I'm in the States and I run uh, PIO Toolkit. Um, and I continue to work with different agencies and, and give my, my advice and tell stories, which is what I call it. I know when you're a child, they say, no, oh, you mustn't tell stories. Well, that's absolutely what you must do. And, that, and here we are. And such an uncanny meeting of minds, you and I, because we had this kind of fleeting 
um, interaction on LinkedIn as you do, you know, and you're kind of wondering, well, who is this person at the other side of the connection? I kind of like their profile, but, you know, who's behind it? And then, you know, you kind of flagged my book on, on your website. And then I said, found out a little bit more about you. And I was like, oh, my goodness, my first book was actually on policing and social media. And, you know, we're both uh, I'm a former journalist, you're a former journalist. And then we are taking the skills into mm-hmm. the digital age and having that real shared passion for high quality, truthful, factual, accessible public interest messaging. So, yeah, I'm just fangirling you here now and listening to your story. I absolutely love it. And I'm trying to unearth more people like you to get on the show. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. So tell us now about the, the last six years in the States. And that that's a different perspective, right? I was there once for a conference, have engaged with a couple of organizations, but not at the level that you have. Yeah, so I ended up completely unrelated to work in the States. And um, I actually arrived officially on the night of the presidential election when Trump got in. And so from an outside perspective, it was just the most balmy time. I'd never experienced anything. And when you look at the way the media is in the States compared to the UK, that it was quite a quite a shock, really. I mean, it's very easy to sort of have an outside commentary on the US, but most of the time it's only if people have been there on holiday to Florida for a week or gone to New York to do their Christmas shopping. But living in America is an incredibly different experience. And so for me, there was that whole understanding my place in, in a new country as an immigrant um, with the knowledge I have of policing in the UK and Europe and to a certain extent Canada and Australia because of the similar policing models, which completely contrasts with the US policing um, model and law enforcement and the jurisdictions and the politics and all of that. So it was just um, a real steep learning curve and trying to understand how it got there to where it was and how and why it was so incredibly different from the UK. So there's there's always this kind of background compare and contrast around messaging and audiences and how people consume media and they consume it very differently in the in the US. And a lot of Americans when I explain to them about how, you know, in the UK we have the BBC, so we don't have adverts. And that, you know, by law a certain percentage of the content has to be educational, religious, you know, dot, 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 dot. And so therefore our program is, is different and therefore our opinions are different. And it just, you can talk forever about it. And I'm still, still trying to understand how it works. And I don't know that I ever will, in all honesty, because a lot of Americans don't, you know, it's it's such a complicated and culturally diverse and politically diverse place. And you can't just say America. To me, it is so many different, wonderful places. And yes, when you go to different conferences in different parts of the country and you see different people, because you have to remember that law enforcement in the US is so incredibly layered. You don't just have 47 police forces. You've got 18,000 police departments, um, and that's just police departments. So, you know, you're looking at federal law, state law, local law, and it just... All of this with politics, some are elected, some aren't. So it's, for me, it's been a real learning curve. But the commonality is 
people still want their problems solved and they still want to feel safe. Doesn't matter where you live, who you are, you just want to feel safe. And so how people go about that is different. Um, and when you look at messaging around key, what I call like the key crimes that people commit and crimes in inverted commas, when you look at things like legalisation of cannabis or you look at messaging around drink driving, it's so different, so different, but that's based on attitudes and religion and different states. And, you know, so, yeah, I've probably gone off on a massive tangent, but it is such a complicated place that, you know, you have to distill it down to what do people really want and what motivates them. And that's all I've had to do, really, to try and get to get to understand it and make comms accessible. And so tell us then where PIO Toolkit fits into that need from a, an organisational point of view in order to serve the public who want real-time, factual and trusted information. Well, for me, I think the better... So for me, great community engagement always is about great communication. And so what I wanted to do was kind of tell my story and the mistakes I've made and then provide a toolkit, quite literally, for PIO. So in the US, PIO is public information officers, which is your, your media officers or comms people. I wanted to be able to share my experiences and, and knowledge from a different perspective so they have the tools they need to be able to do a job and to see the value in what they do because of, there's such a varying emphasis on PIOs in the States you know some people really really value them they really see them as trusted aides and 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 they're on the on the table at the table with the command team in in you know places whereas others they're like a part-time role because they might need to do a press release For me it's about leveling up and providing support because the better people communicate the better community engagement happens through that and it's really important around transparency building trust and so I just wanted to it was during Covid primarily I was like I'm not sure what I'm doing I mean what can I do and I was like I have to do something I'm going mad and so I started writing my blog posts and sort of seeing people say oh, this is really useful and I was like don't you have this you know isn't this something you should know about um but it kind of just grew and grew. And before I knew it, we had 9,000 on our mailing list. I say before we knew it, I mean, obviously it took a little while, but, you know, the feedback we get is just, it's so helpful. And if if I can help to reframe the way someone is putting out a press release and that saves someone's life, which it can, or if it, if it prevents another drink driver, which comms can do, then that, I'm happy. That's, you know, we all... People forget that when you work in the police, you are also a citizen. And I think we forget that. And it's like, well, what, how would you feel if this happened? So write about it how you think it should happen. Don't write about it like you're speaking to another police officer. So it's things like that and kind of getting people to reframe the way they approach talking to the community. Um, and also from my own experiences of being an immigrant in a very fast changing city, like Austin, Texas, um, such a significant amount of immigration from different countries all over the world and think, thinking, you're gonna struggle when you see another six, seven countries 
you know, that, that's languages, that's culture, that's their attitude towards law enforcement. So why not get ahead of that? I just thought I've done so many things that didn't work out, but I've learned from them. So I might as well just share them. Otherwise, I'll end up in trouble. So that's how it started. And you add in the internet and social media to public information comms, and you've got a whole other set of rules and responsibilities and challenges for them. So where where is your audience now and your client base in terms of equipping themselves in the digital age? Are they mature or are there different levels of digital maturity? Oh, it's completely varying. So partly it also depends on whether they are a federal level level agency or whether they're a small, you know, four person police department and all and in between and it depends who they serve and you know so you've got people that are always on social all the time they've got it down you know there's very very heavily engaged on social and then you've got those that will only put out or broadcast there are those that can't do as much as they want to because of the pressure on them to just keep it going and they just don't have the resources to do it um, so it is right across the board and it's different platforms as well. You know, we see there are some that do really, really well on LinkedIn, for example. There's a real shift towards LinkedIn, I think, with some agencies. Um, and then you'll still have those on Twitter. But Facebook is very prevalent in the States, more so, I would say. Um, and then you've got your TikTok stars and whatnot. But then you also have Next Nextdoor, um, which is big in certain parts of the States and had a really interesting conversation with someone once, a, a police chief, about whether he felt that it's political, like based on whether it's a red state, a blue state, or a purple state, what kind or town, for example, whether the type of social they used changed based on politics or ethnic diversity, or you know, so there's also that element as well when you've got you know significant sort of Chinese communities and, um, you know, people assume that certain areas are, are mainly um, Hispanic, but then you'll have just these pockets of communities that use completely different platforms. So it's really hard to say, no, this is the one. And I think they struggle with that as well, you know, which one, any, none. And I think it's okay to say just one is okay at times, but some would disagree. <laughs> and, you know, what I find, and I even I was speaking to somebody working in comms from the UK today, um, working in comms in an NGO uh, across Europe today. I'm now talking to you from an American US perspective. Comms is still under resourced. You know, you already said it. It can it can save you. You can anticipate crisis. It can save you in the midst of a crisis. It can. Uh, hold public trust or it can win back public trust if it's lost like why is comms still so under-resourced when it is a central plank and it binds a whole organization and the public together because I still can't figure it out I I don't know I'm so I'm working on a project at the moment um with a group of people around professionalizing like the role of PIO and all the competencies around it and it makes me so cross that the likes of you and I, who have all this experience and knowledge, we still are not considered to be the same as a, an IT director or HR man. You know, it's like, why? What? What is it about? 
what we do that is not as valuable yet you only see, you only see the value in what we do once you mess up and we come in afterwards it, and it, do still think it's it's a fluffy sort of cozy warm beautiful. nice to have sort of function I don't know I don't know I remember there was there was a time I was so miffed about it all um people don't realize it's like going on camera so I'm not the best at going on camera to do news things and that's the one significant difference I've seen as an aside in the states is that PIOs will always be the spokesperson whereas in the UK you are absolutely not thank goodness and um I had one inspector come in he's like I've written a press release can you put this out I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So if you give me the keys to your van, I'll go out and do a drugs warrant for you. Is that like, all right? Just pop them there. And he was like, no. <laughs> you have literally just undermined 15 years of experience by wafting your press release at me, which, frankly, I wouldn't wipe my ass on it. But, you know, it was just that is how it is. If you could think of it like that, you wouldn't give me a taser why should I give you a pen? It, it just, that is that strange kind of uh, reaction to comms. And it's it's not just writing a press release. It's not just writing a few tweets. It's having the strategic foresight to understand what motivates people so you can achieve a positive outcome. And that is, you know, it's like put, put a press release out. Well, why? For what purpose? What are we trying to do here? Oh, we'll just just put it out. No. Yeah. <laughs> so that 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 is a bit can you tell? It's bugbear of mine, but yeah, it's um I don't know what it is. I don't people think I suppose because we are taught English, supposedly the English, you know, writing or what have you from school, then that's just like maths or it's just like something else. It's not a skill as such that you train for. When you know, I will sit and write something. I'm sure you've had this. I'll sit down and I'll write something and I'll look at it and I'm like, how do you do that? You know, yeah. you, you have to continue. Thousands of hours of practice. And, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy to write something that's engaging and, you know. So it, it is a skill and I think the one thing that is missing a lot is empathy and that's something I write about a lot is how you have to have empathy and I wrote a piece around empathy and law enforcement and they seem so far from each other but actually when you think about it everything in policing should be about empathy and understanding a person um and i was i was interviewed on a, a podcast um the digital diplomat that's coming out soon um and the host is a former bloomberg a broadcast journalist uh, and he asked me so why is digital comms and social media so important for government and public sector right now and for business? And I said, well, trust is the number one currency in the digital age. You know, trust has been broken and invaded by misinformation and disinformation on the internet mm -hmm. by bad actors who have other intentions. And content is a commodity not now owned just by trad traditional and mainstream media. It's owned by anyone who will create it. So I wonder if we can hook in senior leadership for more investment in comms to support the great work of public sector professionals and PIOs who are saving faces and other things every day by going in on that. Would you agree that that trust, and you talk about empathy, and I think empathy and trust are two sides of the same coin, Is that's where it's at right now? I think um, it's always been there. 
but no one's been able to say it out loud. So the feelings that everyone has now are probably the feelings they've always had. They just haven't. I mean, if you think about the letters page in the newspaper, really, that is, you know, the old slow way of doing it. Of exp everyone's always had feelings about the police. Everyone, they, it's just the mouthpiece for it has changed. And, you know, I think about how when we look at technological advances, I mean, Americans are incredibly proud of, you know, their privacy rights in the US, which a lot of the time they're protected by law around privacy. You look at things like the right to be forgotten. Um, it doesn't really exist because it, it does in law, but it doesn't technologically. And so it's eroding that trust as well. It's like, who am I and my data and all of that business. So even if you have the trust in someone, it's, it's such a complicated issue. It's such a complicated issue that takes so many different people to just to shift that. And it's not about just putting out some good tweets. It's about that constant narrative of transparency. And also, I think there's there needs to be a stronger responsibility around correcting misinformation and controlling that narrative. Because yes, there's a, there is there's misinformation. There's always been misinformation again, just in a different format. You look at propaganda and what have you. It just it's the speed at which it it spreads and how it proliferates and how I think people are less keen on questioning anything. So we all just read the first few bits and say like, and actually what are we doing? We're just, you know, perpetuating without having curious minds. And I think it's it's about that kind of constant, no, this is not true. And I think there's a fear that, I mean, I was always told, don't ever correct a, don't correct a journalist. Why not? It's wrong. I, I'm doing the public a disservice by letting that information out because it's wrong. And it was just, such a it was strange to me and so now for me it's like well yeah we're, we're not going to stem the flow of misinformation but we can play on the offensive I, I always get these sports that wrong thing well I don't know anything about it so I just pretend I do but we can always be like building ourselves up to a strong enough brand that even if there is misinformation it, people would say it doesn't sound right doesn't sound like them they stand for this. So that doesn't seem right to me. And so that's where I think the responsibility lies. And to be consistent across all platforms, whether it's a printed leaflet, a tweet, a YouTube post, whatever it is, we have to be consistent and reliable. And that's what people are seeking the most at the moment is reliability. So what's ahead for PIO Toolkit? You've just come off a conference tour across the states and there's some uh, exciting things happening what can people expect from you well we're continuing with um, more content um just sort of useful things like we've been putting out stuff around how to use the right language and then providing resources uh for different communities and how you should be writing for those communities and communicating with them on um both in social and in print the thing i'm most excited about is we are um building out our media management dashboard, which will allow for an incident publishing page um, where all the information should be correct. So even if you're seeing rumors online, you have that one page from that one department and it's in a chronological order, anything that's happening, this fact, this fact, this fact. So 
what you can do is if there is only one of you and you've got five social media platforms, your signposting and all the information is in one place. I'm really excited about that because that will help people that are just up against it all the time. So we've got to be realistic. You can say you should do this, this, this and this and this, but if you're only one person, it's overwhelming. So our plan ultimately is to enable those who struggle the most to do the best job they can. And will this be available worldwide or is it US specific? No, it's going to be whoever wants it can have it. Um, <laughs> my my plan is that it just enables so many agencies, wherever they are, to just be able to be this. It's called Trusted uh, Update. Um, we want them to we want it to be that they can be the single source of truth without having to set up a whole website, without having to, you know, update all oh, lots of different places. Just one one easy thing. So I've been there where I've had just an overwhelming incident happen and I just didn't know what to do. Um, and you get yourself in a panic. So it's just this simple update. But, and I'm just really excited about it. So when it's ready to launch, would you come back and do a demo with my audience and public sector pros? I'd love to. And I'm, I'm, and what we're doing right now, actually, um, is we're setting up beta team, beta testing teams, because um, there's no point in what's in my head going out there, because frankly, I'm probably a bit past it in terms of like current skills. But I want to understand what people's challenges are um, so that we can build it out for them. Um, so we're always looking for, for beta testers. And it's not just in law enforcement. And I think it's really important. I have to sort of always clarify, just because I come from a law enforcement background, I'm still passionate about comms public sector, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's really important because actually they should never be separate anyway. So whether it's law enforcement, health, fire, um, utilities, transport, I'm a massive AV geek. I love my planes. So I'm <laughs> a big geek generally, but um, it's important that these people have the tools to kind of work together when it comes to an emergency. And this is sort of part of what I've want to do so if there are people that want to get involved and feedback and whatnot I would happily accept feedback well listen I'll put it out to my list and you've already put the the ask out in this podcast and, and YouTube show so hopefully people will come back now I can't let you uh, go uh, we're going to go to something a little bit lighter and nobody will understand the reason I'm asking you this question but you will and that's all that matters and it's my show and I can ask any questions <laughs> that I want I'm the producer the editor and all round dogs body but what's your favorite Kylie song <sighs> do you know depends what I'm doing okay. I can't it's not a simple answer I mean anything that from the last album was amazing because what she did in lockdown just was brilliant uh i'm gonna do a really really modern one most recent one can't write songs without you duet with gloria Gaynor. wow amazing um and maybe i'll put that on later when i'm on the sofa and just cast it to youtube on my telly <laughs> i love step back in time yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's an old one yes i'm on it <laughs> I think actually, just from listening to you, I actually think we're we're the same age. Probably twelve. Yeah. <laughs> Christine, what a way to end um, the show. I feel like um, Niall, my editor, needs to just put some Kylie on. Um, not too many seconds in case she pulls me for copyright. Um, but listen, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and also your backstory. You're absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'm going to add your your LinkedIn account and website and social networks and people 
you gotta connect with Christine. She's awesome. And uh, I've definitely found like my 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 sister in all of this, I think. So oh, it's a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyone who listened to me what we're on about police, Kylie and comms, really. I mean, it's a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> what can I say? Thank you so much. Thank you. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. It's that time of the show again where I give you some free stuff. So over the past six months, we have been running our free monthly webinars. And now we've built up an exciting library of on-demand content. So I want to direct your attention there. Have a look at what content is available. Maybe you want to refresh on some particular topics, or maybe you want to introduce new concepts to your communications team. Whatever it is, we hope that you enjoy our free series of webinars. I will be launching a brand new series in the autumn. If there's a topic that you want me to cover, let me know. These webinars get huge interest and huge audiences. And of course, my motto here within Public Sector Marketing Institute is to lead with value. And that's exactly why we do it. As always, I appreciate you tuning into the Public Sector Marketing Show. I show up every week for you. And if there's one thing that you could do for me, it would be to share the show with a public sector pro you know. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel and also leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Well, that's episode 65. I will see you on episode 66. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.